Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we are joined in our virtual studio by Faye, Grayson's mummy. (laughs) Um, Faye, it's so lovely to finally have you on here. I think you have probably been in the pipeline for this podcast longer than anyone has ever been. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? But I've kind of been going off the grid and and then you ladies have had like so much going on, haven't you, with the book and with all of your workshops and yeah, it's been just been crazy. So but yeah, thank you for having me. It really is lovely to finally um finally meet you. Um tell us what's your Instagram handle for those people who don't know you? So it's at Grayson's Legacy Support. Okay. So um, go and do that now. You can keep listening, but yeah. go and click follow. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay. So <laughs> do you want to start us from the beginning? Tell us about your um, your pregnancy with Grayson. Yeah. So um, my pregnancy with Grayson was incredible, like absolutely incredible, um, which I know obviously now from being in this community is um, I'm very, very privileged and honoured to have had that with Grayson um, and knowing that I most probably won't ever have that again as well. So um, the um, we actually fell pregnant on the first try, which now once again, knowing now that we're on our next fertility journey is just like how the hell did that happen? Um, but I've one. been on pretty much the... Sorry, I, oh, I can say fuck. Yeah. Okay, great. And I can swear. Um, so I had been on the pill as most women had been on since like the age of 16. And then I was on the depot injection. So we, I came off that, uh, we moved into our new house and I was only off that for about three months before we tried. And I fell pregnant immediately on that first try. Um, the most amazing pregnancy felt incredible, had no sickness, um, a little bit at the beginning, like I was off coffee and just needed like ginger nuts to sit and snack on constantly. Um, but apart from that, it was perfect and it was, you know, beautiful. Um, he came 10 days late, um, then, then planned. Um, and I had, um, they had to give me a little snip to, to get him out cause he was stuck around a corner, stuck around a bend. I've got a curved cervix, so that didn't help matters. Um, but yeah, he came into the world on the 19th of May, um, 
six pounds, 10 ounces, and just was the most incredible bundle of joy. Um, and yeah, just, and then just went into the world of motherhood, which wasn't easy. (laughs) Everyone thought that it would be because I'm a qualified child carer and I'd been around children my whole life. So everyone was like, Oh, you've got this. You're going to be the most amazing mom. And I was like, Whoa, bang. (laughs) Yeah. It's certainly not not easy. No, no. And I think it was more, it was more to the point of I'd been so independent from such a young age with my upbringing that for me not working was like, well, how, hang on a minute, how are we paying the bills? Like, how are we going to do that? So there was, I've always got like that anxious, constantly bank balancing, um, like anxiety. Um, so yeah. And I loved my job. I loved what I did. So, you know, we always knew that when we had a baby that I would be going back to work and that Grayson would be going into a nursery or some sort of childcare. Um, because like I say, I'd been in nurseries my whole life as well. I, you know, I, I think they're just hugely beneficial, but you know, it's not for everybody. Um, so yeah, so it just, it was a bit rocky and sort of, um, you know, I've always been a horrendous sleeper, but then when you have a baby that's got a tongue tie and is got colic and reflux and stuff sort of mm. those really early stages like Craig would get home from his 12-hour shift and I'd just be like this is your time with him I'm gonna go make dinner <laughs> and I'd literally just you know, be ridiculous and Craig's like why are you crying I'm like I don't know I really don't know what's happening um <laughs> but yeah and then obviously that just you know eased out and we found our rhythm and you know kind of went with it and I had 10 well we had 10 incredible months with him um before he died um yeah so yeah the birth and and him being with us was amazing I'm so pleased that that was also amazing um tell us when it all started going wrong what what happened yeah so he he'd always been a really really healthy baby like Oh my gosh, when when I can say that a baby of 10 months was a foodie, that was Grayson mm. all over. Like, you know, beetroot hummus, a- anything that you gave him, he would eat. And he was just a, you know, real a real chunk, you know. He loved his food, he still loved his milk, he, you know, and he was a proper mover and just constantly on the go and laughing and smiling all the time. Um, and so it only had one sort of illness which was in the October before he died obviously the following March and he had bronchitis um so we did have a hospital visit that time but being Grayson you know sat in front of the doctors and was just like <laughs> and I was like I don't think anything's wrong with him and I was like he definitely is he's sucking in at the you know at the ribs and you know all of that and he did he had low oxygen and, and all of that business that comes with bronchitis but you know got over it and then in March um we were actually visiting Craig's sister in Melksham and um, he woke up during the night and he had a skyrocket temperature. So almost 40 degree temperature. Um, so I gave him, as you do, Calpol, Nurofen, and it came down and he went back to sleep. And the next day it was up and down, up and down. But every time you'd give him medicine, he had come back down again. He was finding himself. He was still, you know, playing happily eating all of that jazz um and that lasted for two days and then we got back home um so we'd come back home actually the following day uh, the next day he had the high temperature again and then on the third day his temperature had come down but he was just really groggy in himself so from the moment he woke up he just wanted to be held mm. he didn't want to be put down on the floor 
he just wanted to be sort of snuggled, which was fine. I just thought, you know, viral infection, most probably he's, you know, just um, coming back around from it sort of thing. So he had his lunch, which was a sausage pasta. And then he had his sort of afternoon lunchtime sleep. And when he woke up, he was sat with me for about an hour and then he vomited and it was just all of the food came up and I was like, he's really not still great. I said, let's just give the doctors a call and see if we can get an appointment. Hmm. So I called the doctors and obviously because this was very close to COVID time at that point, um, we actually went into lockdown two days after Grayson died. Um, they said, we'll give you a video call and just check out how he's doing. So they gave us a video call. Of course, Grayson being Grayson was smiling at the beautiful nurse and, you know, flirting and all of that jazz. And um and they just said, look, we think he's most probably fighting a viral infection, most probably a throat infection, which is why he's been sick. So see how he goes overnight. If he isn't great overnight, we give us a call in the morning. We can just issue antibiotics over the phone. Yeah. Um, and we was like, okay, that's fine. So we decided to pitch up downstairs for the night because he'd already been sick all over the carpet downstairs. I thought instead of spreading it around the house, let's just pitch up downstairs. We'll bring his travel cot down. He didn't want to go in the travel court. He just literally laid with us all night. So we took it in turns. And then in the early hours of the morning, about three o'clock, he woke up uh, with like a high pitch cry and no tears. And the doctor had sent us a leaflet via email of sepsis, just something to look out for. And that was one of the uh, things to look out for. So had you I said, read the leaflet not great. Before? Yeah, we had yeah. read the leaflet. You're yeah. very good because that's the sort of thing that I would just put to the side and think oh look at that if I need it later yeah and I don't yeah I'm not sure why I read it I think it was because she kind of had kind of it was I felt odd that one he was such a young baby and that they didn't want to see him face to face but that yeah. was fact that was the world of COVID wasn't it and then when they did see them they were he was like oh I think he's fighting viral infections but I'm going to send you a sepsis leaflet and I was a bit like well, why would you send me a sepsis leaflet if you think that mm. potentially this could be it so I think that was why I read it um and yeah so he had this high pitch cry and he was doing this cycling with one of his legs so with the um with the right hand leg he was kind of doing this mm -hmm. with his leg which now I know is a sign of what he died from so um we called 111 and we spoke to them and we was like we think we need an ambulance and they said look we don't think you need an ambulance we don't deem him as needing an ambulance but we're going to get a doctor to call you back and we said okay and I think about 10 minutes passed and we had a doctor call and he said is that him still crying in the background and we said yeah is that his normal crying we said no there's no tears this has been going on for a while now and he said okay to be safe he said put him in the car load up some stuff get some bottles and clothes and things and then just take him down to your local A&E so we had a local hospital to us in Bucks that was most probably about 10 minutes away, but the actual paediatric hospital with a paediatric unit was about half an hour away, which is where I gave birth to Grayson. So we set off there and he didn't want to sit in his car seat, but I was absolutely adamant he had to be in his car seat, you know, whether it was half five in the morning or not, he was going to be in his car seat. So I sat in the back and was kind of hunched over his seat and was singing to him and trying to read a book. And he kept this cry going and going and going and going. Um, and we got about five minutes from the hospital and his eyes just went to the left, uh, to the right hand side and he started having a seizure. So I just literally screamed to Craig and was like, put your foot down, go, go, like get to the hospital, get there. Um, and I said, chuck me your phone. I'm going to call to let them know that we're on our way. 
Um, and at that point, I was trying to unbuckle his seat as well and grab him out of his seat just so I could hold him. Um, and I called and they said, you need to pull over. You can't carry on going. And I was like, but we are literally, we're like three minutes from the, the hospital now. Mm. Like we need to get there. And she said, no, she said, you need to pull over and wait for an ambulance to come to you. Because if you get there, it's going to take you longer to get through all the people that you need to get through to be seen rather than getting an ambulance. So we pulled over on the side of the road um, and we waited for over 10 minutes for this ambulance. And during that time, he was still seizuring. Um, and because um, we were so close to the hospital, ambulances were passing us and we were flagging them down. Like Craig was waving them down and they weren't, they weren't stopping. Um, and eventually our ambulance turned up. It just so happened that ambulance had come from the closer hospital to us. And I ran into the back and they gave him some anti-seizure meds, which physically brought the seizure down. But he was still, we now know that he was still seizuring internally for, obviously, for that whole, dur like for a very long duration. So um, they got us to the hospital. Craig had to, Craig drove the car. I went in the ambulance with Grayson and they took us straight into recess. Um, he didn't need resuscitating, but that was the room that they had ready for him with doctors waiting. And they basically started just working on Grayson. So uh, they took bloods, they took his temperature, they took heart, you know, rate and everything. And everything was perfect. Like nothing showed up in his bloods at all. They'd done a COVID test on him, but obviously back then it was taking like 24 hours for COVID mm. tests to come back. So they'd done everything on him and absolutely nothing, but he wasn't coming around from the anti-seizure drugs that they had given him. So they said they kept sort of lifting up his eyes and his eyes were still sort of jolting. So they said that we still think he's seizuring, which isn't right. Um, and they said, we are going to contact um, the John Radcliffe Hospital and speak to the team there and see what they think. And they said, look, we, we, we need you to take him down for an MRI um, and see what's happening. And there were some minor abnormalities on the left-hand side of his brain because he had seizured all on the right-hand side of his mm. body. So they said, look, we, we will often see that when they've seizured on one side of the body, there'll be some minor abnormalities on the other side. They said, we're going to send this to John Radcliffe and um, and then we'll let you know. They'd given him some some drugs to bring him out of the seizure. So from the medicines that they'd already given him. And he had started to do some really, really big coughs. And they were like, great, that's what we need him to do. We need him to keep coughing. He basically was not pumping out enough carbon dioxide mm -hmm. to bring him out of it. So at that point, my mum and Craig's dad had got there. So we were sort of like tapping him on the shoulders and calling his name and he was reacting. And then all of a sudden he just completely stopped and he just wouldn't react from it. Um, and then they called us in and they just said, look, we've been told that he needs to be transferred to the John Radcliffe. Um, they want to obviously investigate there. There are some minor abnormalities to the brain, but this is often what we see. It's nothing to panic about. Babies bounce back. Um we do need to take him down to be to intubate him, um, which we need to let you know what it is that you're going to be seeing, you know, all of that. So they took him down. It took a while to intubate him um, with a, a few failed attempts. And then they whisked him off in the airport, in the ambulance. Um, we could only see him outside the ambulance. We weren't allowed to go with him at that point. They had like the haphazard suits on with the big yeah. like beehive heads and, and all of that. And um, 
So they said, look, come to the John Radcliffe, don't rush, go home, get some stuff because he needs to get settled there. It's going to be a couple of hours. So at this point, we'd arrived at six o'clock in the morning. This was at about half 10. We followed straight behind. My mum went home and got us some change of clothes and we just went straight to the John Radcliffe. We got taken up to um, Piku. Um, so basically at that time, what they were doing is any any babies or children that were taken um, that had tested negative for COVID were going into NICU and any ones that hadn't yet had a test that had come back were going to PICU. So we were taken up to sit in the family room and we had various doctors coming in and just introducing themselves and saying that we're trying to get him settled. We've had to take him for another MRI scan. Um, his temperature is quite low. Um, we can't, we don't really know what's happening right now. Um, and and then at half 10 at night, so we hadn't seen him since half 10 that morning, um, they came and said, we, you, you, you're, you know, come and see your son, but we need to speak to you first. Um, uh, uh, no one could be with us at this point. My mum, Craig's dad, and my sister were sat in the car park at John Radcliffe. You weren't allowed in any of the waiting rooms or the caffeine downstairs. Everything, it was just a ghost town. Everything was completely closed. Faye, what um, happened in the meantime between half 10 in the morning and half 10 in the evening? So they were just running loads of tests. They were trying to get him settled. He'd had a couple more MRIs. I think they were just personally trying to figure out what was happening. Um, they were trying to get him settled. They'd had to put him, um, I don't, I can't remember what they call it, but for, to to balance out his temperature, he had to be put in like a, um, a cold. Yeah. Um, so, and I think as well, it was the length of time that because of the COVID, everything took to take. So when they would do something, they would have to, everyone would have to vacate the room. They'd have to go in with all of their suits and things on to change a, you know, a tube or something like that. And it, like, this is how scary it was. There was security on the Piku door because no one was allowed to wonder that there was, they were like, we walked down the corridor and there was just units that had lights off and all doors were just completely closed up. There was, you know, nothing. It was just, it was terrifying. I think that whole, the COVID experience, and I, I know that we're not out the other side of it yet, but added such a frightening layer to every yeah. everybody's situation. Uh, yeah. Obviously, my situation was very difficult for you, to, to yours, but it was around the same time. And I remember yes. the hazmat suits and just you telling me this. You was brought back so many, terri like, terrifying, because we all thought the world was going to fucking end. And, yes. But yes. to go through that and then for you in so many ways, your world did end, didn't it? Yeah. And I yeah. think Literally. to have that, that your experience of your horrible devastating experience to have that in a fucking sterile terrifying environment must have been just awful i'm so sorry that you went through that it's just it's, no one should have to go through that in that circumstance i'm so sorry it was the um it was the not the lack of empathy because it wasn't their fault but like nobody could cuddle us <laughs> like nobody you know <laughs> It was, and you're trying to talk to professionals who should be able to fix things. And I know that sounds ridiculous mm. because, you know, no one can fix things. Um, but you're having to try and understand what they're saying through a mask. Yeah. And I was just like, take your mask off. I can't hear what you're saying about our son. Um, 
it was just horrendous. And then, you know, and then the meeting that happened before we obviously went into see Grayson was um, they sat across sort of, it was at their meeting rooms. They sat across a table from us and they all had their masks on and their goggles on and aprons on. And they all introduced themselves. So there was the neurologist of 30 years. And then we had the main head um, doctor um, of, of the PICU ward. And then we had another nurse that was caring for Grayson at that point. And the neurologist of 30 years just looked at us and she just said, her eyes just filled with tears before she'd even started talking. And I was just like, I had this gut feeling that something wasn't right. And she just said, I'm really sorry. I don't know what's taking your little boy. Um, she said, Grayson's brain is very, very sick. Um, currently now, as we sit, he is severely brain damaged. And I just was like, what? What do you mean he's brain damaged in my head immediately? I was like, well, he hasn't had a fall. He hasn't banked his head. He hasn't, you know, all of that. And she said, we are suspecting something, but I need to go on a call. Um, in a minute she said this is why I, ca I can't be here for long she said but I need to get to the bottom she said this I've never seen this before um she said I've never seen something take someone so quickly and the way that it was taking Grayson so um they carried on explaining a few bits to us and they just said look we're giving him everything that we're giving him. We are going to give him a dose of immunoglobulin, which is like immunity from another person's body. Um, and basically, Grayson will choose whether that is enough for him. Um, but right where we stand at the moment, we can't go backwards. So if Grayson makes it through, um, then... He, the likelihood is that he will never walk, he will never talk, he will never feed um, again for his life. He will be bed bound. Um, and basically what we need to do now is we need to stop what's happening to his brain. So his brain was swelling and was completely taking over. Um, and, and yeah, what, where we are right now is where he will ever only be. Um, Faye, how so do you even begin to we, process all of that? <clears throat> we don't I remember just falling into Grace into Craig's lap and just I was trying to listen and try to understand through masks and just through like everything just flashed before us you mm. know I was just like I don't I didn't understand any of it because to me he had just had like a viral infection for two days um and I mean, now I think back and now I, like say, I can pick up on those those small things, um, which is what we obviously now try to shout about. Um, but I just, yeah, it right then it just didn't, nothing made sense. And it was almost like when I went, when we went and we stood beside him and, and we saw him, it was just like, no, this isn't going to happen. He's going to bounce back. He's going to prove them wrong. Because to me, it was he was just there, you know, he was, it was Grayson and, and he, and he'd come back, you know, there was no, no way about it that he was going to leave. Um, and then what was obviously more is that we couldn't be beside his bed. Um, and we'd had now, obviously we know we had such little time, but because of COVID, we couldn't be beside his bed. So we went and spent a couple of hours with him 
our family was still in the car park and nobody could come up and see him. So we kind of was going down Flynn, our family and coming back up. And then it got to the early hours of the morning and they said, look, we can't give you a bed. Um, we can't give you a bed because of COVID. There's, they, they didn't even mention about the Ronald McDonald housing that's on site at the John Radcliffe. They just said, all we can give you is the meeting room that you were just in, which is just literally next door. So you can come and see Grayson whenever you want, but basically you can't, you can't stay here basically all night. You can't sleep beside his bed because every time they change a tube or something like that, we can't be in the room. So they said, look, go into the meeting room. We're going to put a mattress on the floor. So they just put a mattress on the floor for us and just gave us some blankets. And they said, go and get your head down because Grayson's going to need you tomorrow. Um, so we did that. And then I don't know how we slept, but I think it was just from pure exhaustion. Yeah. Um, we had a couple of hours sleep and then we woke up and went and saw him. Um, and the nurse that had been there overnight, which I'll never, never forget her. She had just returned from maternity leave herself. And I remember her telling me about her little one. And I just thought, oh my God, how are you caring for our son? Mm. You know, when you've got such a small one at home. Um, and she said, he's had a really, really good night, but his eyes have stopped dilating. And at that point, she didn't tell us what that meant. So we were like, okay, yeah, okay, he's had a good night, so that's good. Um, and then the doctor, the main doctor came in and she walked beside me and she said, so you've been informed um, of how Grayson's doing? And I was like, yeah, he's had a good night. And she said, but his eyes have stopped dilating. And I said, yeah, yeah. And she said, look at me. She said, do you know what that means? And I said, well, no, you know, I don't. And then she said, I'm really sorry. She was like, um, the decision's been taken out of your hands. Um, Grayson, you know, his brain has continued to swell and it's now starting to swell other parts. So, you know, tubes and things. And um, and there's, there's nothing more that we can do. Um, and she just said, the decision, medically, the decision's being taken out of your hand. She said, we just need to decide when the time is to switch off the machines. Um, <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> um, Faye, how did you tell your, your, your family are still in the car park at this point, are they? So they had gone home for the night and then they came back mm -hmm. in the morning. Um, so... How difficult were those we had conversations? To make, uh, it was shit. I was so... I found it so hard to tell my mum. Because I just felt like... I felt like a disappointment. Mm. You know? Uh, I just felt... I felt like as a parent, you feel like you're... You should be able to do everything. And I couldn't. Um, and we couldn't. So it was really, really difficult telling them. And I remember just um, going, walk, coming down in the lift and I walked over to them and they were stood by the doors. And I felt we'd said in the lift that we need to do this and we need to be strong about it. And as soon as I looked at my mum's eyes, I just collapsed and I just... 
I think they knew from looking at us from when we came out of the lift what they what we were going to be saying and what we were going to be delivering. Um, and then they just said, you know, can we come up? And I said, you can't, you're not allowed. Um, and at that point, we hadn't yet made the decision what we were going to do. So they said, we can keep him going and let him choose when the end is, but we can't put you up for another night in the room. So you'll have to go home. And we didn't want that. We didn't want to get a call at home to say that he had gone. So um, we had decided that we were going to do it, you know, following. So we had a a little while downstairs with our family, um, told them what we were going to do, went back upstairs and then told the doctors and the nurses. And then they had to obviously put all of their plan in place and get a room ready for us to take us into. So it was a couple of hours um, and we just was with him and sang and read his books to him um, and did as much as we could, you know, with everything else that was going on around us. Um, And then we were taken into a beautiful little room. And I remember going into the room and um, I was walking beside his bed as they wheeled him in and it had all painted trees and squirrels and birds on it. And it was that was one of Grayson's absolutely loves. So in our old house, we had sort of like in the kitchen, we had floor to ceiling windows and um, we used to always have squirrels in the garden. We called them squiggles. And there was one that was three legs. So we was like, oh, that's Freddy. You know, it had its name and stuff. And he would just literally sit there in his high chair eating his beetroot hummus and his pita breads and stuff. And he'd be staring at the birds. And at that point, at 10 months, he could say a couple of words. So one of them was birdie. One of them was bye-bye, mama, dada. Um, so he's constantly going, buddy, 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 but, you know, banging on the window. And I just thought, okay, this is, you know, this is where we need to be right now um, in terms of that room. Um, and then the nurse, um, gave us one of the full Louis boxes and we had sort of his handprints and, and everything like that done. Um, and then they, um, took him off all of the machines and then passed him over to us. And we just sat there and we had, um, the Ed Sheeran <laughs> playlist playing in the background. Cause that was just something that we always played to him, um, And we were talking to him and talking and talking and talking. And they kept coming in and checking his heartbeat. And he kept, his heart kept beating for over 20 minutes, which they didn't expect. Um, And just before they came in at the last time, the Irish doctor, the lady that had been there the whole time, she walked in and she didn't have any masks on. And she said, look at me, look at me. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to look at you. I can't take my eyes off him. I don't, you know, I don't know how long we've got left. And she said, please look at me. And I looked at her and she went, I don't have any mask on. She said, he's tested negative for COVID. His COVID test had just come through. I was like, well, that's fucking pointless telling me it now. Like, no one's been able to come and see him. Like, you know, and I'm here now doing this. And, you know, it was just a bit like, well, that was a pointless thing, but it was good to know that he didn't have COVID. Um, and uh, and then she left. And then the next time they came back in, his heart had stopped. Um, and then we had to, you know, lay him down and, and basically go Um we went into the meeting room. They handed us over some leaflets about funeral arrangements and post-mortem. And then that was it. We was basically sent on our way. We didn't, you know, we didn't get an offer of a cold cot. We didn't get an offer of more time with him. It was just, you know, unfortunately, I'm really sorry. You now need to leave. Um, That's brutal. And then, 
that was it. Yeah. Is that was that all just because of and not just because, but was that because of COVID that situation? You just got to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't see why there wouldn't have would have been any other reasons. You know, what Grayson had wasn't catching. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the case that somebody could catch it. So I put it down to everything COVID. I mean, when we went back to the hospital, which wasn't until July, which was when COVID kind of lifted that first time. Um, that was the first time we were invited back to the hospital to actually discuss what had happened. So he died in March and we were left until July. Um what were you offered? What were you offered in terms of like um, bereavement counselling and stuff like that? Nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing. Yeah, no, nothing at all. And when we went back in July, they had said to us, "Look, we we really, you know, we do apologise. You should have been offered some. Um, it wasn't count. It was psychology." You should have been offered a psychologist appointment. So you, what they said to me is usually when uh, a baby or a child dies of something, you know, so traumatic and it was so quickly that nobody really fully understood it, we would have had an appointment with a psychologist. And they said, would you like that? And we were like, yeah, like, absolutely. Um, and then and then we got the blow call a, a couple of days later and a lady was, she was really, really embarrassed. And she just said, I'm really sorry. She was like, I've tried to get you that appointment and we can't because of funding. Blimey. God. Yeah. So it just, um, yeah, we were literally sent home. So that was on the Saturday, um, the 22nd. Mother's Day was the following day. So my first Mother's Day with Grayson was the following day. And then we were in a lockdown on the Monday. Jesus, Faye. Wow. So it was just, um, yeah. And then we just had to do everything ourselves. You know, we couldn't have anybody around us. You know, our family, of course, and some of our friends broke the law and just would come and stand at the bottom of the garden. Um, but apart from that, we were staying home and saving lives. Um, yeah. And it was just, and then what followed was just, I mean, a hit on trauma is a really fucking light word, but trying to go through a post-mortem and then arrange your child's funeral when you can't leave the house. So to arrange a post-mortem, we have to sign confidentiality forms and all of that, but you're not allowed to visit in person. So they couldn't work out how we were going to do that. Um, and then we, in the end, we ended up having to have recorded calls where we could do signatures via an email and that we had to have a recorded call to say that we accepted the post-mortem and what they were going to do for Grayson. Um, and then arranging the funeral, we couldn't start to arrange a funeral because we didn't have a death certificate. We couldn't go and get a death certificate because we weren't allowed back to the hospital. We couldn't go, we couldn't go down to the registry office in Oxford to register his death because nobody was working in the offices. Um, but then we're getting calls from the post-mortem and the hospital saying that we need to arrange the funeral because Grayson needs to be collected. So it was just like, well, fucking help us out a little bit here because yeah. how are we supposed to do this? Um, you know, I don't That's... want to be doing this and it's just making, you know, 
the calls that we were having were just ridiculous. You know, when you're sitting at the end of the call and you physically can't breathe to say like, I don't know, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I need to register my son's death. Oh, um, oh, but, but we're not actually open. You can't actually do that right now. I don't know how you're going to do it. And you're just like, what? Like someone needs to figure this shit out very quickly. Um, and then get back to me. Um, and then, and, and and with all of that, we were trying to still understand what obviously Grayson had died from and A&E, you know, and then trying to get all details from that because we were just given as many details as what they had learned in that, mm-hmm. you know, space of a couple of hours at the hospital. Yeah. Um, but you did get some answers so, yeah, the end, didn't you? We did get some answers in the end. So we, I mean, we very quickly, we were given what the information that they knew it was, which was he had died of acute necrotizing encephalopathy. Um, Grayson had tested positive for the mutation of the RAMBP2 gene. So we all live with the RAMBP2 gene. Um, it's a gene that provides um, uh, energy to our vital organs basically so where Grayson was trying to fight some sort of viral infection that wasn't picked up in any of his bloods um the, the his vital organs were just basically for having to really really fight because of this mutation in his gene um which then caused um the swelling of the brain and which well um, ultimately it was the seizure that then set it all off mm-hmm. um so yeah, so we were told that, but we were told just basically as much information as, as that, really. Um, so we very quickly started to Google things as we did. We were locked up. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't see anybody. So we found A&E International, um, which was set up back in, I believe, 2016, I want to say, maybe even 13, um, by two family, two mums in Canada and Australia, who their children had also... Um, had you know a and e um but had survived it so um we were able to find out a lot of information from then and then i reached out to one of the mums on facebook um who then put us into sort of like a family group chat um where i could just basically sit and read stories and find as much details as we could but that was a bit of a life um, about a and e literally that was our only lifeline mm. literally the and, and obviously it's really difficult, um, you know, to, to read the stories that were given the same diagnosis of Grayson and their children are still alive today and they've survived. So that was really difficult. Not that, you know, not that I would wish that on anybody, um, but it does leave you with doubting thoughts of what if we had hung on? What if they hadn't medically made the decision that this was it? Um, would he still be here today? would have had some improvements i mean for us i wouldn't we wouldn't have wanted him to live the life of being bed bound for life not from when he came from being a 10 month old you know loving life and just full of joy to having really nothing um but there have been children that have made a recovery and that are still working at that so that's that was i suppose really really difficult um But yeah, they were definitely a lifeline for us. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What other forms of support have you had um, since um, losing Grayson? Is there, is there much else out there? So we, uh, we found a counsellor. Mm-hmm. ourselves um we did go to i did call the doctor our local doctor surgery within weeks of losing grayson because i knew i needed help uh well we both did really but more so um you know craig's was craig's felt like he just needed something to um calm the constant you know, overthinking of everything. Whereas mine was um, like Craig slept, for example, at night times, you know, his, his grief just knocked him out at night times, whereas mine didn't. So I wasn't sleeping. I was pulling all my eyelashes off, you know, all of that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, we had spoken to the doctor and they said, look, go and um, contact these places and see if they can get some help for you. Um but nowhere was able to really provide anything. It was kind of like, well, you know, we'll get one of our um, support helps or volunteers to give you a call. And I thought, I can't pile this onto a volunteer. I actually need someone who can, you know, really help me. Um, If there is a possibility of helping me, I felt helpless. Um, And there was many, many times I didn't want to be here. Many, many times. Um, and uh, we ended up finding our own counsellor. So we done, I'd done a lot of research and I found a charity called Rosie's Rainbows, which is also lo- local to where we used to live. And they offered free counselling. So I contacted them. Um, and in the end, we ended up um, our counsellor, who now we are so honoured to call like one of our family members. But we... Um, you know, we still see her now constantly, but we were seen by Jenny Thomas, who was the founder of Child Bereavement UK. Um, and she lived really local to us. So we was having weekly counselling via Zoom. It started as a telephone, then it went to Zoom until about July. And then we started to have face to face with her. Um, and still now to this day, you know, I don't we don't see her as regularly. Sort of we saw her together and then I had sort of a, a period where I had my own time with her. Um and then and now we see her sort of like once a month, but not for a counselling point of view. We still talk about Grayson and that is our connection. Um, but we just talk in general about life and, and obviously and everything else that me and Craig have now had to go through with failed IVF and, and everything like that. So, um, yeah, so we, we had that as a support, which I am internally grateful for. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was that was our next support. And tell us a little bit about all of the work that you've been doing, because, I mean, we both know that doing something, being sort of proactive and campaigning and all of that sort of stuff yourself is is like, um, it helps in, it's like a therapy in itself, isn't it? And, um, and of yeah. course, it's, it's like a legacy. Yeah, definitely. So we... We we said to ourselves when we walked down, we, we got into the lift at John Radcliffe as we'd walked away from him and we had this box in our hand 
of his stuff and we just said to each other this can't be the end Mm. um of us of him of our life of his life so um we very quickly knew that we didn't want somebody else to be in the position that we had been in um so we knew we needed to do something about it. And obviously A&E is classed as an ultra rare disease. Um, it's massively underreported. Um, but we knew that, you know, it was going to be a struggle because when you look at ultra rare diseases, you know, there's, it's really, really difficult to get it out there. It's really difficult to get support. So we just said, right, let's just try and do something ourselves. Um, so we started Grayson's Legacy Support Trust. Um, we built a website. We'd never done a website before. We built a website for him um, and basically started up on social media um, and just started raising funds for uh, parents who are bereaved following a child loss or a baby loss, um, the A&E families and um, like ultra rare diseases and also other local baby charities and, and child charities um, around Um so yeah, so far to date, we've raised just over twenty two thousand pounds. That's amazing. Um, yeah, and and this whole this year up until last July, so last July was our last sort of main fundraising, and it was the summer ball, which was absolutely incredible. Um, I haven't done much, and it 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 has. Um, we've we've always done everything together, but in generally, it's always been sort of me my thing to do. Um, and I don't know whether that's just it's just for me that when I'm doing Grayson's Legacy Support Trust, I'm parenting him. It's the only way that I can now parent him. Um, So, but because of everything else that's been going on with um, our fertility and our journey from last July, I I had to take a back step because I just, there was just a lot, you know, going on, but we've done loads. So we've had, um, we've had just general fundraising. So like Craig's work had raised, um, uh, a couple of thousand when we lost Grayson. Um, and then we've had cake sales. We've had world book days at a local nursery. We have had ultra marathons. We've had half marathons. We've had a climb up Snowden. Um, there's just been so many of different sort of ways that we've been raising money and raising funds. Um, we've done a sort of a, um, a merchant um we sort of so we got some bottles and tumblers uh with his logo so we made some money from those as well from the sale of those um and then we had our summer ball in july last year which was the biggest event that we had done um so it was just over 100 people uh we put on a wonderful evening at a local hotel um and we had a raffle and um an auction and we raised just over eleven thousand that night um so yeah it's been i love doing it absolutely love doing it and like i say it's it's my time with grayson when i do Mm. that um Mm. equally it's really difficult it's um like now that I've not done it or I've not been as active as I wanted to and as I have done previously since July, there is an absolute guilt there for not doing it. Um, so it's really, really difficult. And, and we're a trust as well. So we are currently going through the process of trying to transfer over to a charity, which obviously just takes a little bit more time. You know, we need our trustees and things like that. But there's things that you can do as a charity that you can't do as a trust. So, for example, 
if you've got money sat in your trust bank account at the end of the year, you get taxed on that. You get taxed heavily on that. So, you know, yeah, so it's really, really difficult. So we're trying to start that process of transferring over to a charity. Um, we are currently and have been since the summer ball. We're in touch with uh, Dr. Ming Lim, who is the main professor and doctor at the Evelina Children's Hospital in London. And he has worked with quite a few A&E cases in the UK. Um, so he has been doing a pilot programme since September and Grayson's Legacy Support Trust will be funding the only ever A&E patient registry, um, which we're looking to potentially it's going to be around about the sum, late summer, early autumn of this year. And we are working with some of the top doctors and professors in Toronto. Um, and we're going to be starting a patient registry, which is sort of like step one to getting A&E on the map in terms mm. of being recognised as a uh, as a rare disease, um, but also then being able to um, apply for funding and, you know, things like that. So, um, and there's there's so many um, research researchers out there at the moment that are doing research on A&E, but they're trying to, the, the, the thing that's really time consuming is trying to pull articles out of the archives of A&E patients and then pull everything apart. Whereas when you've got a patient registry, all of those details are in there for every patient that's ever had A&E or that will ever have A&E um, so that it makes their research a lot easier and quicker as well. Um, and they all support one another, basically. That's fantastic. Mm. You should be feeling guilty. Absolutely. I not. know it's so it's so difficult not to and it's just I've been say I've been speaking to a lot of people this year actually and last year about it. Um and I just said like it just doesn't feel like I've had much grace and time, um, which is really, really difficult. Um but life has just been chaotic. Um like work just went through the roof. Um you know, we're doing a house reno because obviously we moved into a house that needs a lot of work. And it's just finding that, you know, that time has been really, really difficult. But I need to find that time and I need mm. to make time for it because it's what keeps me going. Um, it sounds from what you're what you're saying, Faye, is like that your time with Grace and your time doing all the charity stuff is like self-care as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just, it, it just puts me in a place of like, I've really struggled. I'd most probably say the one thing um, after losing Grayson is just finding my purpose mm. again in life. Um, like, you know, I'm so, so privileged that our, mine and or Craig and I's relationship is just incredible you know and our counsellor has always said it that we seesaw each other so when yeah. I'm having a really shit day Craig can ultimately know and he's just like right Faye's having a shit day I need to be the one that picks up and I know from the minute that Craig opens up his eyes in the morning if he's having a really shit day and I'm like right I need to be the one to pick him up today so we've always seesawed and you know it's amazing how many relationships break down because of child loss and, and baby loss um and so that's something that you know I've been really really grateful for and you know I, and I believe that Grayson gave us that but I've really struggled to find my purpose um 
since losing Grayson. Um, and obviously with like job changes and house changes and, you know, the dynamics of your friendships change, the, the, your relationship with your family changed. My relationship with myself has changed. Yeah. Um, for a very, very long time, I didn't recognize myself. Um, yeah, it's just the world that you live in. You don't recognize the world that you live in anymore. You don't trust the world that you live in anymore. You know, it's and it was just, you know, this is just one example. When I went to the doctors after we lost Grayson, I was given a shitload of medication just over the phone. You're depressed. I'm not fucking depressed. I've just, we've just lost our son, but I was given depression medication that was really highly addictive. I was given like beta blockers, like literally everything, basically just numb this girl, just, you know, mm. just numb her. And, um, and it, none of it was sitting right with me. So I called the doctor back again. And I just said, look, I really want to come and see somebody. I know that we can't because it's COVID, but I really want to see someone. And they said, you can't, you know, we're not, we're not doing any face to face. And they put me on the phone to one of the main doctors. And he said, I want you to come down. Can you come down now? And I was like, yeah, I only live down the road. He's like, come down. He said, I'll open up the back door. I want to see you. And immediately he looked at us and he was like, I'm taking you off all of this medication. I'm going to give you this, this and this, because this is going to help for these reasons, but you are not depressed. You know, you don't need to be on all of these. But he also turned around and said, there will be more children, Faye. And I was like, why would there? Why is there ever going to be any more children? I was like, I am never, we are never going to have children again. I am not going to go through this. And the amount of people that said, you will go on to have further children, you know, and and at that early stage, you know, it was like, well, you you can, you will, you know. And I was like, no, I was like, I don't recognize the world that I live in anymore. Like, I don't want to be in this world anymore. I just want to be with Grayson. I don't want to die. I wasn't suicidal, but I just wanted to be with Grayson. Um, and, you know, it just I think that was the hardest thing. So doing what we were doing for the trust, it just brought me back to, oh, here's, here's Mama Faye again. Here's, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I, it's, it was a little bit of me again, but just not in the way that I once was. That's just a prime mm. example of one of those really fucking unhelpful things that people say. Whether there's going to be more yeah. children or not, that is not what you needed to hear then, is it? No. I don't want more children. No. I want him. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Uh, but Grayson at that point had, had tested um, like D so we sort of the, the months that led were we had sort of some uh, genetic testing done and things. And Grayson had tested de novo at that point, which means he had created the gene um, from sort of, you know, a, a little embryo and that, um, that it wasn't found from, you know, from either of us. Um, and then we had further testing done. Um, it was called the preg care studies. I don't know if you know about them, Laura, but they're sort of, they were only offered to around about a hundred couples at that particular time. Um, so we had the preg care, further preg care studies done. Um, so we both had to give further samples and then we had the call in May, 2021. Um, so a year later to say that it, was actually falling on the female side. So on, on my side, um, and that it actually come from the egg that made Grayson. Um, so 
there was up to a 50% chance that 50% of my eggs carried this genetic change. So that meant just some different things for our future, Um, which at that point, you know, May 2021, we we still were in the headspace that, Uh you know, we weren't ever going to have any other children. and, And that was that. So... So that's hence the IVF, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, um, like, where are you now? How are you How are you doing now? Um, <laughs> uh, we've been chucked into another level of grief, um, which I never knew would exist. Um, so in May 2021, we got that call to say that obviously it had been found on the female line or the female side. Um, so it was in my in the egg that made Grayson. And that we would, the likelihood is that we would be offered uh, PGD IVF. Um, so it's basically a very similar IVF um, cycle, but with an additional step of testing the embryo um, before they do an implant. So they said there's it's about a year waiting list but you would you know we kind of you know it is a year waiting list so we you know the the quicker that you decide that you want to go ahead with this then the better so we had some chats with them and i mean that was hard to get over well not to get over you never really get over that but hearing that it sat on the female line because immediately there is a a, a guilt that comes with that um and so after some chats and discussions we had decided that we would basically just get in the line for this because it was going to be anywhere of up to a year if not longer for this and they said that you know you know you'll have appointments you'll have some meetings you don't have to um you know go through with it once we once you know once we get to this stage of saying that we're ready to go if you want to go with it sort of thing so we kind of said let's just let's just go for it let's sign the paperwork let's see what this is all about and also it it felt like the only safe option um so back going back to when i had that that chat with the doctor where he said to me that there'll be more children he had a genetic background so he said to me you're going to want more children faye but you're most probably going to have to have some prenatal testing which comes with a risk of miscarriage or maybe IVF being, you know, a, a bit more of a solid option. He said, because you won't want to go through this again, will you? And I was like, no, absolutely not. Um, so the PGD, it just came as like a bit of a lifeline. It was like, well, they're not going to implant, they're not going to transfer an embryo yeah. that has got this genetic change. So this is our safest option. You know, this is our safest way of continuing our family and giving Grace and a sibling without without losing them to this, to, to what Grayson had died from. Um, so in the February of 2022, we went for our initial consultation where they went through everything. They took a sperm sample from Craig and I had, um, my internal examinations, um, which then brought up that I have a extremely low follicle count, um, so I only have seven follicles, um, which they said that someone of my age, they expect to have around about 30. So um, and at that point, they didn't the hospital that we were assigned to in London, which <laughs> God forbid anybody that is having treatment with them because it was the most horrendous treatment I've ever had in my life. Um 
they they didn't mention at that point that there was going to be any issues you know they just said oh you've got low follicle count you know blah 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 and um and then sent us on our way and just said look we'll be in touch it's most probably going to be about six months before we start your first cycle and we'll go from there so they came back sperm sample perfect super duper sperm you know great um everything else perfect start taking your folic acid and start preparing you know getting your body in shape for it lovely we then get called up to start the ivf in the middle of june um and i hadn't heard from them you know may came round still hadn't heard from them middle of may came still hadn't heard from them and i started to sort of like because i'm a bit of a control freak you know i like things to be controlled i like to know where i'm going to be at with things so i had to keep calling about my meds and and everything like that um and then eventually we got all of that arranged and that all got delivered that came with the wrong medication that was my fault that it come the medication was wrong i had cost the nhs this much money because they sent the wrong medication out oh, it was horrendous um and we did all of the injecting and we did all of the meds and then we had our egg collection on the 29th of june um the day after my birthday and they only collected three eggs so one was 20 milli 20 millimeters one was eight and one was nine so i had i already knew that the two small ones were far too small um and i'd only had one of a good size um i was sent home in extreme pain um ended up at a and e for uh, like 12 hours um, with no contact to the hospital that I was having all my treatment with, ignored calls, didn't get back to any of my urgent emails, nothing. Um, and then the next day I got a call to say that only one of my eggs had made it to embryo. The two had died off um, and that we needed to wait for day five to see if it could then make it to blastocyst. Um, which then we got a call on uh, day five, which was the 4th of June, uh, 4th of July, to say that the embryo hadn't made it. Um, but when I got that call uh, on the, the day after, so on the 30th of June, I basically said, okay, so when am I, when I need to speak to somebody now and get about getting booked in for another round. And she yeah. said, no, 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 you need to stay positive. You need to stay positive. You've got one really good size embryo. And I was like, no, you haven't read my notes. I I have to have one more than one embryo because basically they have to find a, def, a defected embryo to match Grayson's samples for them to then say, yes, great, we can go ahead yeah. with this. And she wouldn't listen to me. She just kept going, no, you need to, I, you need to listen to me. You need to remain positive. Um, this, you know, this is really, really good. This is, you know, this is all happening. It's all great. And I was like, you need to read my notes. I'm going to put the phone down now because I'm really, really angry. I'm really angry that one of your team haven't already called me back because of the amount of pain that I've been in. Um, and I'll speak to somebody later, basically. Um, and then, yeah, that that embryo didn't make it. Um, we then had the ball on the 9th of July, the uh, Grayson's oh, ball gosh. on the 9th of July. And then I had a call with a professor on the 14th of July to basically say that the three rounds that I was, I basically had um was no longer going to happen because i wasn't ever going to produce the number of eggs that they needed to do pgd treatment and that basically my options of pgd ivf had come to an end so so then what 
Um, so then it was, we were fighting and going back and forth. I had to change my doctor's surgery here because, um, the doctors that I was with, you could just never get an appointment for. Um, and it was just a bit all over the place. So change my doctor's surgery here was, uh, trying to then get signed over to see basically what our journey looked like next and what we had to do. And, um, we are now going through the next stage, which is prenatal testing. So because of what Grayson died of, they can't give me the non-invasive prenatal testing, which is through a blood test at eight weeks pregnant, because basically what they're saying is that although they assume that I don't have the genetic change or they know that I don't have the genetic change, there may be a change in some of my tissue I don't know how this works and it's mind blown me again this year, but there may be a change in some of my tissues. Now our tissues leak into our bloodstream and if they did a blood and they picked something up, it not it might not necessarily be the baby that I am carrying. It might actually be just something that's in my blood. So then we would have a termination of a baby that doesn't actually have that genetic change, but it's actually in me. If it was picked up on great on, on Craig's line and it was then found in my blood, it would be absolutely 100% that it is from that baby. But because it's on my line, we can't do the non-invasive. So we have to do the invasive prenatal testing, which is um, the amniotesis. So that will start from 11 weeks pregnant. So first of all, they will try the, the sample of the placenta. So the needle through the stomach into the womb and they'll take a sample of, of the placenta. But they can only do that if you have a front placenta and not a back placenta. And I don't know what I had with Grayson. Um, and if they can't do that, then at around about 13 weeks pregnant, they'll then do the amniotesis, which comes with its risks of miscarriage. Um, but it's per clinic. So our local clinic, it's a 1% risk of a miscarriage following that procedure. Um, and then we would get the results within a couple of days as to whether the baby that we are carrying has that genetic change or not. Um, Mate, and then someone who's been through everything that you've been through shouldn't have to... to it's so to, unfair, isn't yeah, it? to deal with so much shit. It should just be simple. yeah. I just, I wish it would. And, and this is, you know, this is once again, where just life just is just, you you grow up just being told that, well, if you have sex without protection, you're just going to fall pregnant and everything will be punky glory and, you know, or, or not. So go on the pill and, and, and it's just not, it's just not the case. You know, we've been trying for, I mean, it's only been two months um, and every month my period has come and I'm like, Wow. And people are like, oh, and once again, you know, comes the shit stories of, oh, it's fine because you fell pregnant with Grace in the first time. It will happen again for you. And I'm like, no, I mean, I'm only two months in. I, you know, there's been ladies out there that have been years and years and years of, of trying. Um, so two months is nothing. So, but it just goes to show how different things can be, you know, with Grace and it was the first time and, and, you know, we're, we're still here on our third month and, and it's nothing. So, um, but is that also down to the stress? Is that also down to, you know, what I now know, whereas opposed to back then I didn't know? I, you know, I don't know. Mm. Bloody hell. You've been through so, so much. So, um, we're, we're running out of yeah. time. I just wanted to ask you one more thing. It's, it's Grayson's birthday next week. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. 
Uh, no, no not next week. His death anniversary date next week. Sorry. Anniversary. Yeah. Have you got anything special planned? What do you do to celebrate or to to remember? Um, we've never really planned anything for any of his anniversaries or his birthdays. Um, we kind of just wake up and just go with the flow. So often we'll just go for a walk um, or just sit in the garden. Uh, like Grayson's place is like the garden for us. So we've got all of like the bird feeders and he's got his roses and loads of different rose bushes. Um, so I kind of just do anything that just gets us through the day. Um, it, yeah, whether that's just a walk, whether that's a bit of gardening, whether that's absolutely nothing at all. Um, so yeah, nothing, nothing planned really. Okay. I like that. I like that, that, you know, see how you feel. Yeah. No pressure. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No pressure whatsoever because I just don't know how, you know, I just don't know how we're going to feel. I can't believe that we are. Uh, three years on you know it's um yeah oh shit. <laughs> it is so shit. shit i'm so sorry thank you so much for joining us no thank you ladies for having us and thank you for everything that you do um honestly i've, I've said it to you before in in my messages and, and things but like being with you guys on the podcast, not today, but just, you know, every time there is one. And then when you leave the gaps and I'm like, ladies, you need to come back. You need to <laughs> you come back. Right. Like, the first person to message us and say, come on, girls. <laughs> it's time. I'm like, come on. <laughs> I mean, I know that how time consuming this is and I know that how, you know, difficult it is as well. But honestly, what, what you've done, you know, and what you continue to do is just, absolutely amazing i mean all of you both so oh well thank you for coming and being being a part of it um no, although grayson's story is although it's you know a rare disease there'll be other people who have been through experiences similar right yeah and um yeah you know how powerful it is to hear stories from people who've been through something similar so i'm sure his story is gonna help lots of people yeah definitely. thank you Thank you. And keep right. in touch, won't you? Look after yourself, yes. Faye. We do. Take Thank care. you, my lovely. Take care. Bye. But, um, keep us posted. Let us know how you're getting on. Yes, we will do. Thank you. Bye. Bye.